This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. In the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. Okay, it's, I mean, it's not going to sell your home, I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com. Reaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another episode of Reform This. And thank you for joining me and to our uh, subscribers. Appreciate you having faith and uh, um, believing in what we stand for and being that rare place that you can find the opinion of an American Muslim who loves my country first, who will stand for reform and speak the truth regardless of uh, the price I may pay. And as former U.S. Navy Lieutenant Commander, I think it's my duty to serve in this battle with you against the threat of uh, political Islam, the machinations of Sharia, be it in uh, Muslim-majority countries or the movements of radical Islamism. And week to week, I try to breach those lines, those divides between the Islamic nations, the states that are Sharia states, and the West, the lands of freedom and liberty that continue to be under threat, the threat of violent jihad and the threat of civilizational jihad and that ideological movement to try to subvert the lands of secular freedom and liberty within and from abroad. This week, you know, we have to talk about the fact that uh, uh, Mr. Trump did give a speech that was uh, highlighted as uh, a pivot, if you will, towards substantive discussion of what is the battle against not only radical Islam, but jihadism and Islamism. He gave this in uh, Youngstown, Ohio, and uh, the text itself is about 20 pages. And while I'm not one to uh, really take sides in this, as as you all know from my previous episodes of uh, this program, I've got major problems with both candidates, uh, but uh, clearly my whole life I've been to the right of center as as what I believe to be a Reagan conservative. Um, but it's important in this uh, campaign season to, at least in this program, when a candidate chooses to provide substantive discussion of the war against radical Islam, that we come to terms with the parts that we agree, disagree, and I'll leave it up to you. And when Hillary decides to finally give us a uh, policy speech, uh, we'll also give her the same deference and go over her positions, but her positions are clear where she's been not only in the submission that happened in Libya, her siding with the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt, but the inability to bring to fruition any type of movement towards a third pathway in Syria away from ISIS and certainly away from Assad has left, I would say, almost every American Muslim that I know 
quite concerned about what a uh, Clinton candidacy would bring. But now, as far as Mr. Trump's policies this week and what he enumerated in his discussion, there are many aspects to it, and I ask you to take a look at it. Uh, first, he listed all of the attacks and the threats from San Bernardino to back even before that with Fort Hood and the threat of ISIS into Europe with refugees in Paris and Belgium. And after that listing of the threat, he also, in passing, said that he would have never voted for the Iraq War. He was against it at the time and feels that that's what got us into this mess. And that he said that Hillary had basically given away Syria and given away Libya, etc. Uh, that mantra basically is saying that it takes some of the truths and, and the inability of the Obama-Clinton administration to take sides with the revolutions that happened. Because 2011 was revolutions. We did not stimulate those in Libya, Egypt, Syria, Yemen, or Tunisia. They came nascently on their own as part of the Arab awakening. So I'm not sure what Mr. Trump's position is there. Is that we should have snuffed out the revolutions? Or we should have stayed with the dictators as he made it clear he thought we should have. Given away Syria? Syria for our families had finally woken up from a long death, an imprisonment of over 50 years that brought a revolution that finally was awakening in 2011 from Dara'a to Homs to Hama to Damascus and then to Aleppo, long before ISIS ever was created in 2013. In 2013, ISIS was founded by the influence and the founding of the ideology of the Wahhabis of Saudi Arabia and Qatar and the Islamism that then fueled the radicalization of the Syrian population and certainly Assad played a role in that by unleashing from the gates of prisons many of the Al-Qaeda radicals that were jailed that he had released during the Iraq war into Iraq and recaptured some of them. So the narrative that Mr. Trump was giving was was a bit disjointed. I will give him that he used the term reformers, I think, two or three times. He did provide solutions saying that we would vet refugees. He thankfully stopped talking about the Muslim ban, but talked about extreme vetting, and he said that twice. And reading from the prompter, he said that we would vet against the ideas of the Sharia state, Islamic states. He would vet for those who shared our values. He would vet against those who did not believe in our constitution. Hallelujah. This is, you know, this is what we've been calling for for years at the American Islamic Forum for Democracy. Our Muslim reform movement has a declaration that's two pages that basically says that. So yes, from a protection mechanism, vetting against refugees, perhaps for security clearances. He talked about a commission that would look at radical Islam. And again, I think 
he began to put some of the pieces together for domestic protection in our homeland security against radical Islamists. But then, shouldn't the presidents, the future presidents, whoever that may be, doctrine coincide with a plan foreign as what he's talking about domestically? So domestically, he talks about vetting Muslims for those who share our ideology of the secular state, for those who believe in the equality of men and women, gay rights, and other aspects of secular society, and reject Islamism and jihadism. And yet, when he criticized foreign policy, he said that we abandoned our allies, like El Sisi, and he talked about cooperating with Russia and finding common ground, as he said. Common ground with the thugocracy of Putin's Russia, with a Russia that has been helping carpet bomb neighborhoods in Syria with over half a million dead, 10 million displaced, a Russia that allowed Iran to subvert sanctions and now is trying to sell ballistic missiles and weapons that Iran is going to use the million, hundreds of millions and billions that we're giving them back to buy from Russia. This is what he said we should find common ground against ISIS. If Russia really wanted to get rid of ISIS with Assad, they would have done so right away. They started doing bombing operations officially September 30th, unofficially since the beginning of the revolution, they've been arming Assad. And generations back, the Syrian military has been trained and wholly supported by the Soviets in the 20th century and then Russia ever since the fall of the Soviet Union. So to say that we can find common ground with them is the most inane, absurd foreign policy position for an American president to have. And it really breaks my heart to see all of this Russia-philia happening as we saw the Republican platform weaken in his position on Ukraine, we saw Mr. Trump get confused when talking about Crimea and just other aspects that are just beyond the imagination. And yet, his domestic policy called for vetting for those who agree with their ideology. His foreign policy said that we would work with whatever allies we needed to and while our enemies are clear, he said, sometimes our friends may not be. Okay, so if they're going to work with us against ISIS, what about the ideologies that's creating ISIS? You think that's going to go away? The cauldrons that brew these ideas and truly a potent policy against radical Islam would mean regime change. And yet, Mr. Trump's speech called for the end of regime change policies and regime stabilization. And I'm sorry, regime stabilization is un-American. That's what Mr. Obama's doing with regime development in Iran and Syria, with Assad's development, with regime development with his filia for the royal family of the House of Saud and Qatar and the Gulf states, as we saw with the Clinton Foundation. So Mr. Trump doesn't seem to be far off from that. In fact, he again made remarks that somehow we should have left Saddam and Qaddafi 
a, a, a tyrannical regimes and rapists and 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 war criminals that somehow they were benefiting us and didn't create cauldrons of terror and Al-Qaeda didn't have a home in Iraq, that somehow you can rid the world of radical Islam by leaving dictators in, or somehow they will transform themselves into democracy over a few months to years? No, that will not happen. No, the Middle East will not transform itself into a 21st century Islam from the 11th century it's in right now without a continuation of the Arab awakening. The very fossilization of Islam that happened with the Ottomans and into the 20th century was due to the dictatorships that are the corporate infrastructure of the Sharia state. And all we're doing with our whack-a-mole counter-terrorism program globally is trying to stop the grassroots viral movement of political Islam and Al-Qaeda and ISIS. That won't work. So when we come back, what will work? What should the presidential debates talk about? And what are the role for American Muslims in this? This is Zudi Jasser with Reform This, and I'll be right back. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. Breaching the fault lines of today. The Blaze Radio Network. In the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. Okay, it's, I mean, it's not going to sell your home, I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com. Reaching the fault lines of today, this is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another segment of Reform This. Your faithful American Muslim patriot here to join you in this battle of ideas between the West, the land of freedom, and the land of Islamism, the Islamic State, and its instruments of Sharia and Islamic law and theocracy. We were talking about Mr. Trump's policy speech in which he, this week in Youngstown, Ohio, laid out what he sees as his strategy in what many in the media are calling a resurrection of the war on terror. And it's almost war on terror redux because there isn't even an attempt to use the terms freedom and democracy. Still, I, I'm still waiting with bated breath to hear Mr. Trump use those terms, freedom, democracy, and liberty. But he did talk about allowing those Muslims to come, those immigrants who want to come, who share our values. So I began to finally hear a candidate talk about not changing what it means to be the city on the hill, not changing what our Statue of Liberty stands for and its inscriptions, but simply saying, yes, you're welcome to come here if you pass the vetting process. And that vetting is not just background clearances from regime information, but rather 
a vetting? Do they believe in the caliphate? Do they believe in Islamic states and Sharia? Would they hold our constitution as the highest law in the land? Or are they insurgents who believe in Islamizing the government and the states in which they come? Do they believe in the equality of men and women? What should be the punishment for stealing? The severing of hands? These are the questions I think that you can ask. Now, would some lie? Sure. But right now we're doing nothing. No ideological vetting. So some is certainly better. And then that template can be used to vet domestically for security clearances for those who would be enlisted to help us in the FBI, police, military, etc. Vetting for those groups that should be helping our State Department, our government political wings and media and universities who we should trust in this war, this ideological war, if you will. It's fascinating now, France and many European Union countries are calling for a significant, severe reduction in the numbers that they wanted to bring in. And listen, I I certainly have a a horse in this race. I, I've got family. We've been asking for years to come out of Syria, and now they're stuck, and some are dodging barrel bombs, carpet bombing, chemical weapons, and also ISIS. So both Assad and ISIS are wreaking havoc on Syria. And yet, as an American, to be honest, I have to be honest and say that we would we are foolhardy not to be concerned about the ideology. Thirteen percent in some studies of the refugees have sympathies for the ideologies of ISIS. That should make us concerned. That's one in nine. A little little more than that. So we can filter those without turning off our immigration without changing who we are, and thus building a policy stance of what it means not only to fight terror as a tactic, but to fight jihadism and ultimately to fight Islamism. And what does victory look like? Victory against Islamism will look like a generational battle in which all Islamic states see their end. All Islamic states of the cooperation of the organization of Islamic cooperation begin to fall apart, and that neo caliphate of 56 nations begins to fall apart. That's the evil empire, but unfortunately, Mr. Trump seems to have the advice on the teleprompter from his advisors that was correct on the domestic threats and how to vet those but yet they couldn't translate that into one coherent doctrine. Instead, he's talking about having common ground with Russia, which in a kleptocratic way fuels every evil regime it can to keep its power in the Middle East and has sided with the Shia version. And on the other hand, he wanted to continue everything the way it's been with the Sunni allies, quote-unquote, who've been truly the founding fathers of ISIS, and yet he did not call them out on their ideologies. And one of the amazing things, I think, is that the very vetting he'd want to do, none of the militaries or the governments that we would enlist 
the hundreds of thousands manning these governments and militaries and royal families and others that are allies against ISIS would pass the vetting process if done appropriately to condemn the caliphate, to condemn ISIS, and to condemn Islamism, political Islam, the Sharia state, blasphemy laws, apostasy laws, all the aspects of the ideological conflict. So until we have a policy that marries those doctrines, that schizophrenia is going to continue to, on the one hand, drive radicalization as we take millions from the Saudis and from the Iranians and others. And on the other hand, whack-a-mole the, the terrorists that are produced as if we can't stop this problem. We can no longer have foreign policy and domestic policies schizophrenic and divided. We need candidates that see Russia as an enemy, that see Saudis as an enemy, that need to, when they talk about the war on terror, talk about ending the addiction on oil and for oil and talk about alternative energies or accepting higher gas prices. All of these things are married into one policy issue. And the EU, contrary to dialogue this week in the media, is not having second thoughts about the refugee crisis because of public pressure, but because they realize from Paris to Belgium to London day after day from axe murders to terror cells that commit acts from country to country, they realize that they're at war. And the only way to fight war is to shut down the invasion and to begin to defend your countries, your nation states, your national sovereignty. I believe that's a lot of what Brexit was about. Yes, there were domestic issues, I'm sure, in England related to economics and other things, but there's no doubt that national sovereignty played a role. The fact that 81% of British Muslims say that they're Muslim first and British second is a problem when the country looks at it, its threat of stability from foreign immigration. So Germany may be too late with the numbers that have been let in by their chancellor. And where they're headed next, we don't know. But I think ultimately they're going to have to revisit what it means to be democracies, liberal democracies, secular democracies, and how they're going to vet for the ideologies that threaten them. So I think this week, as Mr. Trump's foreign policy has begun to be laid out. There was finally some meat on the bone. We heard some solutions. But unfortunately, the Arab awakening was just looked at a vacuum that the only way to fill is with dictatorship. Sure, places like Syria will get worse before they get better. But to think that there's any pathway towards a peaceful, more democratic, more liberal Middle East. And as Mr. Trump mentioned, reformers that we're going to work with, the reformers he wants to work with, that he mentioned twice in his speech, are in the prisons of Saudi Arabia and Qatar and Egypt. Al-Sisi doesn't have him in his cabinet. He's got them in prison. The reformers, the real reformers, that want to end the blasphemy, the Sharia laws, and the Islamic State identity. That want to work with liberty and democracy. Two words, Al-Sisi, King Salman, 
and other autocrats and monarchs and dictators and tyrants in the Middle East don't want to don't want to say. So there's a lot there. There's a lot more to talk about when we come back. Breaching the fault lines of today. This is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something. And progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at glennbeck.com slash liars. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser, and welcome back to another segment of Reform This for this week. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for joining me, and hopefully you'll come away with a fresh outlook of hope, knowing that there are American Muslims out there who love our country, who are patriotic, and believe in the essence of American liberty and freedom in our constitutionalism, and it's far preference over any other system in the world and are with you to lead this battle against the influence and the threat of Sharia and the radicalization upon Muslims all over the planet. In this segment, I want to spend some time with you sharing with you a, a debate that I participated in this week that uh, really shook me about the narrative in Syria. And, you know, I used to think that uh, with the Internet and the flow of information and the connectedness of our planet, that somehow fiction would disappear, that somehow the truth would win out, that somehow people who were engaged and read and had the gift of education would read and see and understand the truth by putting the pieces of the puzzle together. But, wow, I have to tell you, I was invited, uh, thanks to a friend, uh, to uh, participate in a presentation on two different sides of the conflict in Syria at the Tea Party of Loudoun County in Virginia. And they were kind enough to Skype me in and the presentation for an hour initially was given by Senator Black. And Senator Black has really not hidden the fact that he has traveled to Syria a number of times, uh, I would guess uh, under the dime of the Assad regime, uh, or at least its influences here in the United States with some of its nonprofits uh, that uh, funnel them money in some way or the other. Uh, but uh, uh, regardless of that fact, it was just amazing to me. I, I sat and listened to his presentation in which he had the audacity. And here's a guy who was a former army officer and, you know, you'd think gets it. But wow, there is no excuse for the, the verbal inhumanity that came out of Senator Black's mouth. And, you know, don't take my word for it. Uh, I'll post the debate on my Facebook page at uh, Jasser. I'll put links to it at my Twitter page, 
my Twitter uh, handle at, at Reform This Radio and also at Dr. Zudi Jasser, D R Z U H D I J A S S E R. Senator Black went on about his trips, about how wonderful Bashar Assad and his wife are, and how our first ladies in America should learn something from Esma Assad and how elegant and gentlemanly he is as her husband and how kind and how liberal they are and how much they protect religious minorities in Syria. And and I, besides me getting nauseated, to know that there's a sitting, this is not a U.S. senator, but a state senator in Virginia, nonetheless, many of the Syrian activists say that, oh, he's been marginalized, he's not a big deal. Um, I have to tell you that the, the saddest thing was was not only his presentation, but the applause he was getting in the room. Now, I don't know how many people were there. I was uh, Skyped in, but uh, at the end of the day, uh, this tr- is getting more and more traction because the American media, the the right and the left, are being influenced not only by Syrian media, WikiLeaks and Snowden, but Russia and its influence through RT, Russian television, and its propaganda operation on weakening the West. And now we see both candidates having significant influence in some way or the other, either through their staff or through their own personal relationships from Russia. And back to Senator Black, take a look at that debate. Uh, my personal webpage is MZ Jasser on Facebook, uh, MZ Jasser, and, or M. Zudi Jasser, my public Facebook page. Take a look at the posting on the debate and see for yourself. But here you have an American, which I consider to be un-American, who described Assad as a reformer, described the entire rebellion and revolution as evil incarnate, as all ISIS and all Al-Qaeda, described our families fighting for freedom as being simply vicious barbarians, described conspiracy theories about America's plans in Iraq and that uh, back in the early 2000, even before the Iraq war, there was a plan contrived in the DOD to create this rebellion. No, it wasn't an Arab awakening. It wasn't a revolution against tyranny. No. And he goes on and on. And then my response, and this is what I want to talk to you about, is what is the narrative about Syria? What happened there? Why was there a revolution? Is it all about 2011 on? I mean, this hysterical, hysterical American was saying that, that the initial demonstrations were false sniper fire from their own in order to generate global sympathy and the, the the demonstrations didn't only start in Dara but in town after town after town with videos of of thousands and tens of thousands hundreds of thousands being slaughtered and massacred with sh- with bullets and shots and bombs upon rallying individuals the rate of death being anywhere from 500 to 1000 a week a rate in which the Syrian government felt that it was high enough to exact enough harm upon the rebellion, but not too high in which the world would pay much attention. And so far they've been right. People like Senator Black claim that the minorities in Syria will be better off with Assad and that 
certainly ISIS is evil, there's no doubt about that, but to say that Assad is not also evil, to say that the bombing operations of the Assad regime has been targeting only ISIS is is complete nonsense. It has been avoiding ISIS because its existence gives the Assad regime a reason for its militant tyranny to be accepted, as we see with hysterical opinions from un-American ideas like Senator Black from Virginia, State Senator Black from Virginia. But he's not alone. RT television that's now being pumped into every hotel room almost across the country and is gaining acceptance and has lost many anchors because of its propaganda approach pushes this information all the time that somehow Assad is the victim and the rebellion is being influenced and controlled by jihadists. And yes, the longer the nuclear political winter of the rebellion and the revolution continues, the longer and more radicalized it will be and the more it will become a cauldron of radicalization. So when you look at Syria, the narrative has to be put in its historical context. What is the Assad regime? It is a Ba'athist national fascist party. What is Ba'athism? Black speaking to a Tea Party told them that Arab socialism was more like a liberation, an identity for a Syrian nationalism. And he made no apologies of his support of socialism. And I responded, I, I thought, did this turn into a moveon.org meeting versus actually being a Tea Party meeting that believed in free markets and capitalism and the the representation of America away from the confiscation of our property by government. And yet the Assad regime, the Ba'athists, do not believe in property rights. There are no businesses producing anything worth any value in Syria that uh, can be looked upon as products worth anything of human creativity or ingenuity. Syria has been suffocated by its extremist totalitarian dictatorship, military dictatorship of the Assad regime. Anyone who speaks up has been decimated now for over 50 years since the Ba'athists took over in 1963. And that tyranny prevents any free markets. That tyranny doesn't allow any other journalists, any other papers, any other media arms except the government-owned and the government-propagated misinformation. And yet, we have a former army officer state representative pushing information to the Washington Post and others in an interview of how much he thinks that the Assads and the Syrians are misunderstood, that America should work with Assad. And yet when I pushed him about the evil that is the Assad regime and its genocide, the evil that is Iran that is working with Assad and has kept him in power, the evil that is Russia, he responded talking about the evil of Saudi Arabia, which I echoed on that. There's no doubt that the Saudis and the Qataris have moved into Syria because of our absence. The narrative of Syria is one of 20 coups between 1948 and 1963. The narrative of Syria is that the people have no arms. They have no Second Amendment or any amendments or any constitution worth anything. The narrative of Syria is that the Ba'ath, which is the Nazis of Syria, took over in 1963 and then had an internal coup in 66 that then began to move communist elements into their ideology 
until 1970, in which Hafez, the father, Assad, took over and created a, a government, solidified a government that was based in an Arab fascism like the Nazis of Germany, and this was the Nazi party, the Ba'ath Arab National Socialist Party of Syria, no different than Saddam Hussein, which treated people like ants, put people in prison on a daily basis in the thousands and massacred them when they responded and tortured them in, in ways un, unspeakable. And yet, an American officer, I understand us not sending our, our troops, I understand the debate of whether to send our treasure, but our words, our words now, are in defense of genocide? I told him to go to the Holocaust Museum and see how America for years ignored what was happening to the Jews and finally woke up to our moral obligation to stop what was happening to the Jews by the Nazis. And yes, there are, just like there were many silent Germans, there are silent Syrians, there are silent Muslims across the world that do not say anything about radical Islam or participate and believe in it or the underpinnings of political Islam. But there is no excuse for a sitting state senator to have the platform that he does and speak to so-called conservative platforms and echo a belief of tyranny from Russia or Syria that somehow Ba'athism is freedom, that somehow minorities get along in Syria, when in fact the only minorities that get along in Syria are those who tow the party line of the fascist of the Ba'ath regime. So when we come back, let's talk about what solutions people like Senator Black offer and what should be our response to them and the solutions in the Middle East. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This with the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network. Coming up today on Pat and Stu. I didn't realize that the Charlie Sheen is anti-Trump. I thought he was pro-Trump. I thought he was too. I was actually thinking when he was a happen? legit VP candidate. Yeah, right. I the, mean, the only thing that makes me uh, sad about this story is that he's not uh, pro-Trump. He's pro-Hillary. At least that's what the story sounds. Like. I thought he was a libertarian. I would heard. I heard at one point he was a libertarian. Pat and Stu, weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to the last segment this week of Reform This. And, you know, with all the talk about uh, Trump's foreign policy speeches and discussion about uh, how to protect our country from jihadists, from ISIS infiltrators, and others, and what is our country's role, moral obligations with the refugee crisis that's emanating from Syria. Uh, we discussed in our first few segments about the importance and the validity of screening against the ideologies that threaten us, the importance of engaging Muslim reformers. But at the end of the day, what we talked about in the third segment was this debate, or <laughs> whatever it can be called, that I had with 
probably the country's leading apologist for tyranny on the planet, uh, which is uh, Senator um, Black from Virginia and and, uh, State Senator Black. And we had an interesting conversation, but uh, I couldn't help but just be beyond beyond horrified by the the words coming from his lips and if we can't do anything now it's again it's not america's role to send our treasure it's not america's role to send our sons and daughters to fight for somebody else's freedom i wish my grandfather was alive to see what the syrian people are doing to try to rid themselves of the tyranny of both the assad regime and radical islam and yes they are losing but which revolutions in history have started or or ended quickly that turned out to solidify democracy and freedom which revolutions in history got rid of an armed militia that tortured raped genocidally killed innocent citizens of its own country the way the Assad regime did the way fascist regimes in Europe did in World War II and so many others have in history. Which revolution in history got rid of that kind of tyranny without profound chaos and rout? So I think it's important as you hear the different narratives from Syria to understand that those narratives need to be couched in a understanding of the history. What got Syria to the almost cataclysmic type of conflict that we see between a vicious Islamist theocratic mentality that beheads its enemies and seeks to put into place a Wahhabi, virally militant state that is bringing jihadists from all over the planet and radicalizing our youth in the West, fed by the ideas of Saudi Arabia, Turkey, and Qatar. How do you counter that, that natural offshoot of the ideas of radical Islam, but the pressure and influence of the militarization of the Shiite radicalism, of the Islamism of Khomeinism, and the militant boots and barrel bombs and chemical weapons of the Assad regime? Both are equal sides of the evil coin of Syria's tyranny and the question is is there any other options and the rebels have been coming more and more dominated by al-Qaeda types the Jabhat al-Nusra and so many other factions the Institute for the Study of War has laid out many maps that talk about the the hundreds of divisions of rebels but what is the next step and and what are the processes I wish my father, my grandfather were alive to see at least the Syrians that are believers in freedom are trying to leave a legacy that they cannot say they didn't try to defeat the terror that is the Assad regime and the terror that is ISIS and Al-Qaeda. For too long they sat on their hands and lived in a prison in which they had no freedom of speech, no journalism, no television or mass media that they could speak their mind on. For too many generations there was the Mukhabarat, the intelligence that infiltrated one out of nine American Syrians, even more 
of the Syrian population that were all on the government dole that reported on their brothers that in books like the Republic of Fear that talks about Saddam's Ba'ath intelligence operations in Iraq were exactly similar to what the Syrians did. They learned their population control from the Soviets that smothered any dissent through torture, through examples of brothers reporting on brothers because they feared that their nails would be ripped out, their their um, bodies tortured, and their families and their children killed and raped in front of them if they did not acquiesce to the Assad regime. And this is the regime that now has allowed ISIS to come out of the ruin that was a revolution that began bloodless, but realized that the only way to defeat the Assad military machine is militarily, and they've been fighting with virtually nothing. The people of the West, I think, you know, yes, understandably, you look at Libya and other countries and you say, wow, we can't let our weapons be used in these battles because they'll get in the hands of the jihadists that then want to kill us. And I get that. But listen, when we have a country that sends our best jets, our missiles to Saudi Arabia, to Qatar, to Egypt, these are our allies that we claim, we believe they're helping us against ISIS and Al-Qaeda. And in many ways, they certainly are. But their states are cauldrons for ideas that brew Islamic states and fester and spread the cancer so that when we kill one whack-a-mole, the other one pops up because the brewing of radical and political Islam will continue in their Sharia states. And the only difference between ISIS, the Brotherhood Al-Qaeda, or the Egyptian and Syrian and Saudi military regimes are one is a corporate Islamic Sharia state and the other is a grassroots viral Islamic Sharia state. But they're both tyrannies, they're both quasi-theocracies, and they're incompatible with freedom and liberty. And the only way out of that morass is for us to begin to slowly help nascent small movements of freedom and liberty. Reformers, people who were in jail, people like Rafe Bedoui in Saudi Arabia, people like Kamal Labwani in Syria, and so many others in Syria that are not Islamists, that are either Kurdish or Christian or or Sunni reformers, uh, Shia reformers that are against the Ba'athists, those that are against Ba'athist, socialist, fascist ideology and against Islamism and the Islamic State and against Khomeinism and its global spread of terror through Hezbollah, Assad, and Russia, and against Russian communism and tyranny and four ideas of a free, free newspapers, free media, social media. So this should be the solution. We need a president that can telescope and telegraph for us that we will help those who share our values. It may not bring peace, it may not bring a decrease in chaos but again stability has proven not to be security and security is not seen with stability as long as we do regime development. Regime change may bring more instability but we'll keep helping regime change after regime change until they get to a real democracy. Tunisia is headed there 
Egypt was, and the brotherhood became much worse than Mubarak, but then they were ousted by a revolution 2.0. But then a coup dissolved what was the sense that the sense that somehow democratic reforms could happen. And that was in Egypt. Syria's revolution, I think, again, Western influence can help civil society, can help make it clear that we will never, ever stand by dictatorships as an ends justifying the means. We will never sacrifice our values and we will always hold those people accountable, no different than we do the Chinese or the Russians or the Koreans, or the um, weak republics throughout the African continent that do not share our values, and we never kowtow to their dictators. But yet we help them in human rights in so many areas. So we need to wake up to our values. We need, I believe, to have a president that doesn't have a schizophrenic approach to the Middle East where we call dictators of Sharia states our allies and then say we're going to vet using reformers against the radicals. Yes, that's a good approach to vetting immigrant threats is to have a litmus test for making sure that those who do not share our values and believe in the Sharia state do not come in. But we should use that same vetting globally from the bully pulpit of presidential platforms and campaign platforms and the White House. That bully pulpit should call out Assad, Khomeini, King Salman of Saudi Arabia, the royal family of Qatar. Call them out for their slavery, for their treatment of women, their treatment of Jews and Christians and minorities, their abomination of human rights. Call them out and say that we will not honor them as part of the world table of governments that we respect as long as they do not respect human rights. And foundations like the egregious Clinton Foundation should be held accountable. Why is it that Hillary has the noceilings.org arm of its women's rights section of the Clinton Foundation, and yet there's so little about Middle East in that no ceilings? It's because of the Qatari money, the Saudi money, and other Gulf state monies that buy silence. And yes, even the McCain Institute here locally in Arizona got a million dollars from the Saudis. Is the McCain Institute talking about regime change in Saudi Arabia? I hope it will, because in this current campaign here, there's been a lot of controversy about that, and for a senator that has stood beside the Syrians fighting for freedom very honorably with the few Republicans that have done so, I would hope that he'd do the same for those who believe in freedom in Saudi Arabia and against the Wahhabi Sharia state that is our so-called allies, that is probably the central font of radicalization of Muslims across the world. Same for Haley Barber that I've talked about and so many other Republicans and Democrats from the Clinton Foundation to to uh, so many who have bought, been paid for, and thus turn a blind eye to our facilitation of Petro-Islam and its Wahhabism that creates the ISIS's of the world. Strategically, we need a doctrine that has a singular vision of liberty, anti-theocracy, anti-dictatorship, 
and will promote that through reformers domestically and abroad. That's it. How hard is that? And that will then be a blueprint for victory against political Islam. That will be a blueprint for victory for the Arab awakening turning into actually not a winter, but an Arab awakening for freedom and democracy. I hope and pray that's where our foreign policy will head, that we don't head back to a 20th century where we seem to have some principles at home for freedom and liberty, and then abroad we slept with the devil in order to get another devil. And maybe it made sense before 1989, before the wall fell, but after the wall fell and the Soviets were no longer a major threat to us, we should have, as the only superpower left in the world, the wherewithal, the moral clarity to call out those regimes that abused and tortured and raped its own citizens and prevented free speech and reforms. And now as they had the power and the courage to declare revolutions, that we should support them when their own militaries of their governments shoot them in the streets and bomb their neighborhoods and and use chemical weapons. We should support them with means, be it educational, arms, or monetary. Yes, there should be ideological vetting, but just like we can vet those who would come here for refugee status, we should be able to vet the rebellions and not treat them all as one, but help those groups that may share our values. So much more to talk about, but I think I hope this discussion on Syria left you with some sense that there can be approach that doesn't violate our values and yet works against our enemies, no matter how diverse and how many different countries they may come from, from Russia to Iran to Syria to Saudi Arabia. This is Zudi Jasser. Thank you for joining me and subscribing to this one-of-a-kind podcast, Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network, and I look forward to talking to you next week. Thank you.